0: This is NASA Command Module. Mission Control Houston, do you read? The wide Atlantic weird bunker is currently cruising in high Earth orbit. And I gotta tell you, the view is beautiful from up here. We're just passing over Western Europe right now. And I can see all the cities lit up like a Christmas tree. The Earth sure looks great. Just like I always hoped it would. But if I look out the other window, I can see the moon. a dead barren world. A hostile world. A place man was never meant to visit. At least according to some conspiracy theories. This is your host, Commander Cian, and you're listening of course to Wide Atlantic Weird, the podcast where we use conspiracy theories, urban legends and a little weird fiction to explore exactly why people insist on believing weird things. If you're wondering exactly why we've had the bunker blasted into orbit this episode, it's because outer space is the best place from which to investigate that most fundamental of conspiracy theories, the moon landing hoax. Coming up is a conversation between myself and James Lynch, a man of science and medicine, and a longtime space and Apollo buff. I know no better person to tackle the technical details raised by this out there space conspiracy. And while the sound quality isn't always all it might be, I think something has to be sacrificed when an episode is beamed down to you from hundreds of miles above. So enjoy the show, and remember, in space, no one can hear you think critically. Well, technical difficulties are no no stranger to... uh, to the world of podcasting anyway. Um, firstly, what we often do at the beginning is just talk a little bit about what beverage we might be enjoying.
1: Oh shit, I better get a beverage
0: though,
1: huh? <laughs> uh, I have in my hand Stonewell Cider, medium dry. Who makes that? hovel. <laughs> uh, it's made by a small company in Nohovel, County Cork, No Hovill, right? No Hovill.
0: I've never heard West of it. West Cork, <laughs> it must be yeah. Tiny. It's West Cork,
1: small village.
0: Uh, I've got a. It seems to be a London company. They're called For Pure Brewing, and it's a. It's just called Session IPA.
1: I, uh, I li- suitably hip,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I like. I I remember the first time I heard about the notion of session. It's just someone said to me, "Well, it's low alcohol, so you can just have a lot of it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, they're usually cut they're often called something like all day IPA or something, you know, to imply that you can yeah, just. Yeah. You can just... It,
1: there's 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 one that I've seen in the beer house here in Cork that's uh, made by Founders, and they've they've got this great sign, and um, it's kind of like a poster, I guess, but it's uh, it's kind of printed on this embossed metal kind of plaque, I guess you'd call it, and. uh it's a, it's a lovely painting of uh, a car driving off into the woods with a kayak tied to the roof. Oh, yes. And then it just says, uh, Founders, old AIP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The crosses and, uh, it looks, uh, it's, it kind of sets the, the tone for like fishing with the boys and the beers kind of thing.
0: So I uh, I have memories of being in your place back in the day. And after a few beers, you would put on the Apollo videos of the... The Saturn V taking off and just watching yeah, yeah, that yeah. <laughs> incessantly. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I decided to have you on to talk about this particular topic because um, I suppose you're not technically an engineer, but you're probably the most engineering-minded person I know.
1: Uh, I guess I'd just be a, a amateur enthusiast. I guess you know uh,
0: an Apollo buff. Uh,
1: I wouldn't claim to be any sort of expert, like, but no, but no, a little bit. I guess just the basics, anyway.
0: No, I I feel like um. What I might bring to this might be the the kind of the psychology of the conspiracy angle, and I'm hoping maybe you can bring some of the more technical stuff to it. Yeah. So, um, we're 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 talking about the the Apollo moon landing hoax. It's a well-worn topic. It's one I've avoided for a while on the show, but uh, you know, it's been done so many times. It's it really is one of the one of the classic conspiracy theories. You know, it's it's up there with the Kennedy ho- hoax and the. Uh, the september eleventh um you know conspiracies i I would say it's one of those big three that everybody's heard little, a little something about, but um I was going to leave it alone because it's so well done, and I honestly i wouldn't be doing a show about it if i didn't feel like either I had an interesting new angle on it or I had an interesting person to talk to about it um hence yourself and uh, I was reminded of those old sessions where <laughs> you would get uh, a little enthusiastic and and put on the the Saturn five videos and give us all the technical details, whether we wanted to hear them or not. <laughs> <coughs> so I guess I'll ask first, have you ever come across anybody who who believed this conspiracy theory? Like, have you have you encountered this theory in the wild, as it were?
1: Uh, I think only once, really, to be honest. Uh, he'd be kind of a mutual acquaintance of ours, I'd say. Uh, but this is kind of back when we were teenagers, and this particular individual was, uh, he was kind of deep into every conspiracy theory that was going Um may well have grown out of it now, I wouldn't be surprised, but uh, he really had kind of gone way down the rabbit hole of every available conspiracy theory that he could find, you know.
0: Well, I, I would guess, um, with your interest in politics, I'm sure you'll agree that the, the, there's a lack of rational uh, thinking and critical thinking going on at the moment, which is leading to some some fairly big decisions that are going on in the world, and um, perhaps... Uh, though you're more of a technical inclination, perhaps I can get you to see that there, I, I do think there are some connections between even rather silly, th- frivolous-seeming things like like the Apollo thing, and then some of the, the, the bigger, um, maybe some of the bigger problems going on today.
1: Uh, yeah, actually, I was just thinking that myself earlier, that, um, that there's surely a big overlap in... in uh... In, the, in, the, in terms of the people who believe these kind of far-fetched conspiracy theories and who might uh, swallow whole um, some of the so-called fake news that seems to be so prevalent today, especially online. I read, an,
0: um, that, an art- I read an article this week it was about something else, it was in relation to, you know, like Bigfoot hunters and stuff but they, they basically said there's an argument to be made that we ought to be paying more attention to this fringe stuff because, I mean, if this is what perfectly sensible people are doing if this is what they believe about the likes of Bigfoot like what are they thinking about more important things <laughs> you know
1: yeah yeah it's true and I suppose it's uh, it's easy to just have a laugh at their expense um, but I suppose this kind of thinking uh, can have real world implications if it reaches a certain critical mass that it starts to have an effect in the ballot box I, I'm starting to think the... I'm
0: just, Yeah, I'm starting to think we're at that mass Um I find myself laughing less and less about this stuff. Um, a few months, when I, when I came to Essex first, I had to get, pick up a few bits and pieces. I had to get some stuff for my bed. So of all places, I was in, a, you know, a sort of a bedding and mattresses emporium. And the fellow working there, I think I had a T-shirt on with some... I had a T-shirt with a, like a spoof UN logo on it with the Masons on it. So it was like an imitation of the UN logo with the Masonic triangle in the middle. And he went off on this. He was like, oh, I made some kind of half-assed joke about the Masons watching you. And he he took it really seriously. And he just, he went to town on me. He was one of those everything, everything conspiracy theorists, in for a penny, in for a pound, you know? So he he, he was fascinated to have somebody who wanted to talk to him about this. I couldn't get away from him for about 40 minutes, I'd say. Um, and he, he was into everything, you know, the globalists and uh, Kennedy and, and everything, the whole bit. And he said for him, it all started when his his kid brought him in a picture of the Apollo moon lander, right the the, the was it was the Eagle is that the name of the lander? Uh,
1: that was the the kind of the code name given to the the Apollo eleven lander, but it's uh, I suppose its technical name would be the Lunar Excursion Module, and the LEM. S-
0: and he said, and and the, you we will find we'll discuss this. The, it's quite common in in people who believe the Apollo moon landing hoax that the way it looked was just not convincing to him. He, he looked at this thing and he said, what is this kind of rickety looking thing made of, you know, vi- visibly made of tinfoil? foil, and, tin foil. Yeah. and, you know, you can see all the bits kind of almost like they're taped on or strapped on. And it does yeah. look a bit, it does look a bit rickety. Um, and, and this, he said, just looking at this picture, twigged him onto something. And everything else went from there. And this guy was fully devoted to all of these conspiracy theories, and it, for him it all started with that lander. So I, I do think it's a fundamental conspiracy theory. It's one of the older mainstream ones, for sure. The the Kennedy conspiracy is older, but this, as far as... I've been digging into this, and as far as I can tell, it dates from just a few years after the Apollo 11 landing itself. So it's it's been around for a long time now.
1: Uh, it's an interesting one, yeah. And uh, you, you just mentioned about that the gentleman you met. um and that he he kind of he was into more than one conspiracy theory and that's certainly been my experience with with people who believe in conspiracy theories
0: it's it's uh, when you believe one you're you're more likely to believe others and it's been uh, i mean it's been shown there have been scientific reports to show that there is a mindset there is a conspiratorial mindset that means you are uh, you know statistically more likely to believe more than one and i re- i read a fascinating thing this week about um So a test had been done for, I think it was a university in Kent a few years ago about conspiracy mindsets, and they tested a bunch of people and they gave them multiple conspiracy theories and found that if they tended to believe one, they would tend to believe others. But the best part was that whatever year this was, a lot of the conspiracy theories were about the death of bin Laden. So people who tended to believe that actually the, the American government were lying and bin laden... When was he killed? Two thousand eleven. They they didn't want to believe. They believed that he uh, was not killed in two thousand eleven, and he's actually still around. They were the no. same people who tended to also believe that the American Remember government that, fake. Were, were lying and that in fact they had killed him before that. So yeah. it doesn't matter that they believe contradictory things. the The point yeah, is yeah, that yeah, yeah. they're going against the mainstream narrative. That is what is all important for them. Well, actually, I read a study a few years back. Um, they they actually found a
1: gene that had a statistical correlation uh, with belief in conspiracy theories that people who had this particular gene were more likely to believe conspiracy theories. Um, And I guess you could call it a a paranoid gene, you know. Mm. Uh, And and I guess a certain amount of paranoia uh, is a healthy thing that, um, uh, you know, historically would have conferred an evolutionary advantage. um, If you think the individual who sees a bush rustling and thinks... You know, that might be something dangerous. That could be a saber-toothed tiger. Uh, in the long run, he'll probably survive and reproduce better than the guy who says, that's oh, just the wind, Do you know. Um, so that kind of looking for deeper, sinister explanations for uh, for various phenomenon um, probably once upon a time conferred an evolutionary benefit, uh, but now uh, taken to its extreme uh, can result in some pretty bizarre behaviors and beliefs.
0: Well, yeah, it's almost like a form of ap- apophenia, isn't it, where we're, we are pattern-seeking individuals. And um, I was always taught as a biologist that um, in evolutionary time, you know, making a false negative is more dangerous than making a false positive. So we are, we are all kind of built to see patterns where there might not be any. We're all built to see threats and enemies where there might not be any. And
1: I think another... Um psychological kind of explanation i read with regard to conspiracy theories is that uh, and this was uh, making particular reference to 9 11 conspiracy theories is that uh, you know serious large-scale events must have serious large-scale causes you know uh, so we'll say with 9 11 the idea that you know a small group of religious zealots um could cause an event that was so devastating and altered the course of history uh, it just seems so disproportionate you know yeah and um, that the, the impact they had was completely disproportional to the means they had and their numbers and so on so it's <clears throat> it it makes more sense in their world view that this big event had a big cause with a big conspiracy and big powerful players behind it
0: and there's, um, there's a lot of theory that it's a com- it's weirdly and counterintuitively it's a comfort thing that it's scarier to exist in a world where you know, something so random could happen or such inconsequential people could have such a terrible, you know, could do such a terrible thing. And people, weirdly enough, it's comforting to people to believe, well, no, actually, those big, terrible things only happen because of some sinister, you know, powerful group rather than admitting that you live in a world which is a bit random and a bit scary and sometimes crazy stuff just happens either for no reason or because of just a small number or even just one Pissed off individual.
1: Yeah, that's that's why I've always found the the moon landing one sticks out a bit, uh, and you know, in that the moon landing itself wasn't anything sinister, do you know, uh, as opposed to say nine eleven or the assassination of John F. Kennedy, yeah. And so on, do you know, they 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 were big events with big consequences, and um, so certain people perhaps find it more comforting for them to have big causes. Also, do you know,
0: it does seem um, like a less sinister one, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, like in the, in the grand scheme of things, you know, it, it's, it was an amazing achievement and everything, but ultimately it's it's kind of, you know, I, I know some people, know some science uh, fans would uh, disagree with this strongly, but, you know, ultimately it was about going to the moon and sticking an American flag on it, you know?
0: Yeah, um,
1: yeah. In terms of bringing samples back and all that, that could have been done by other means, um, I you was, know, so... The, 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 there was no major, you know. Had the moon landing not happened, would it really have altered the course of human history? Not
0: really. The knock-on effects have not been huge. Like, we it did not launch us into some sort of space age. No. You know, no. I mean, really, besides satellites, what else is super relevant about the space? I mean, mm. I mean, and that's that's harsh coming from us. We're both fans of of space, and we always have been, and and we hope, I presume, we we hope to live to see. That turning around and, and there is more interest building now again but I do feel like it's going to be some time before we make any any next steps mm. the the political will just isn't there and I think the public interest just isn't there and I think there was a high point for both of those in the 60s wasn't there and that's the only reason why this thing got done at that time and why yeah. interest dropped off sharply afterwards
1: you see the thing is like technologically it, and mathematically and you know uh, from an engineering perspective yeah it's obviously you know, extremely complicated, but it was well within the grasp of technology at the time. It was just a question of scale. Do you know, like to, to send a rocket into orbit requires such an amount of fuel. To send a rocket all the way to the moon requires, you know, orders of magnitude more. And um, so, like the Saturn V rocket, uh, it just differed from the rockets that went before, it just in its scale. Do you know. Um, yeah. It it was using the exact same technology, just scaled up,
0: you know. Well, you'll know Um, that a big part of the conspiracy theory is all about how, in their view, you know, we just we couldn't possibly have done it. And, you know, everything that came before was such a mess and NASA was in such a disarray with all of these failures. And then suddenly they pull off, you know, six missions flawlessly and nobody dies. And that's to them. That's all part of the suspicion but yeah,
1: um, but they're very, they're very much ignoring the things that did go wrong. Yes, exactly. um, Apollo thirteen, so, so like the, <laughs> Apollo the, the, well, one, Apollo thirteen, and the, yeah, the fire on Apollo one that killed three, three astronauts, um, oh. and also if you look at, um, you know, there was, there was obviously a whole series of programs leading up to the Apollo program that were all building towards it. you know? So the Gemini, uh, the Merc- Mercury, Mercury. Uh, so Gemini was the one just before Apollo, and on the Gemini missions. They were uh, really it was just practicing, and some of the techniques that they would need for the Apollo missions, uh, such as uh, orbital rendezvous, and uh, uh, launching two separate uh, vehicles to say one with the men, another with fuel and a booster, rendezvousing in orbit, and then using that booster to change their orbital trajectory and all that kind of thing. Uh, and if you read about those missions, they had their fair share of. Um, So they had this uh, Agena target vehicle that they would launch separately to the Gemini capsule and the idea was that they would rendezvous with it and then do whatever they wanted to do, Um, you know, go through a a program series of manoeuvres, but uh, it didn't always go according to plan. There was one case where the the shroud that was on this Agena target vehicle failed to separate after launch, so they they managed to rendezvous in orbit and then couldn't dock with it because... The docking port was still covered um you know and you consider like the millions of dollars that had gone into getting that into orbit uh, would have been quite an embarrassing failure really um so like their technology wasn't perfect, and to be honest it you know it like the the, the three men on Apollo thirteen uh were extremely fortunate to come out of that incident alive and um, so this idea that their technology was unbelievably and, uh, <laughs> So unbelievably and uh, far-fetched and more futuristic and more uh, successful than was possible for the time uh, does not really hold up to scrutiny because things did go wrong and um, there was a huge element of luck um, and it's not fair to say that nobody died because obviously the three men in Apollo 1 uh, lost their lives as part of the programme. It wasn't in space but it was still uh, like if the objective was to hoax the landing it was to fake the landing why would you burn three men to death in a capsule um in, in a test you know that just makes absolutely no sense to me at
0: oh, all Oh, there's an answer to that though the the conspiracy theorists believe that they were killed deliberately because they didn't want to go along with the charade there's a <laughs> okay <laughs> i feel like I'm, yeah. go- I'm gonna piss you off now because i'm gonna I'm going to have to get into the conspiracy itself and um, yeah, a little a little bit about how it got started. Feel free to interject if there's something that, you know, is just so absurd it has to be corrected. But I am interested in how myths and legends get started, and this is one of the biggest legends of the 20th century, I think. So it, it it's really hard to... Get a, get a, some of the early dates knocked down for sure. I mean, there will always be some people who doubted it because there are always people who doubt everything. Probably as early as it happened, and there's a few weird quotes from various newscasters and stuff taken out of context that people often throw around to say, "Oh, people were suspicious right from the beginning." But I think this legend really gets started um, in 1976. There was a fellow called Bill Casing. Perhaps you've heard of him. He is basically the father of this idea of the moon hoax, So he was a what's called a technical writer for a company called Rocketdyne. So you probably know them. They produced the rockets the, for the Saturns. The,
1: they made the F1 motor. Yeah, that was so the the first stage of the Saturn V had five of those. That's right. F1 motors which at the time were the actually still to this day they still count as the uh, the largest rocket motor ever made that has a, a single combustion chamber. There was a Russian one that had kind of uh, multiple combustion chambers that was technically bigger but i suppose it,
0: it, it, it to look at it, it looked like a, a cluster of rockets rather than one rocket motor that's right so um, is, is it fair to say that rocket dying are were not nasa they are not nasa they were a third party who were providing nasa with some tech
1: yeah but uh, i mean that was the case for, for for every aspect of the apollo program really like it, it was private contractors who, who built the, the various modules you know built the service module the, command module, the Lunar excursion module. They're all built by uh, various companies. I think it was Grumman made the made the lunar excursion module, for instance. Um, so they were contracted by NASA, uh, and they designed and built these things themselves for NASA with NASA oversight. But uh, yeah, like I suppose you could call it a public-private partnership. I guess it would be called these days.
0: So this fellow Bill Casing was working for these guys, Rocketdyne Giant, um, and and I get on the face of it, to a lot of people, it sounds like he might have been a legitimate source of information, right, because he works for Rocketdyne. And, you know, not everybody makes that distinction that we have between whether or not he worked for NASA. He didn't technically. And his position is called technical writer. Do you know what that actually is? What, what is a technical writer?
1: Uh, no idea, to be honest.
0: So um, it's I, it is fairly vague. It does sound, on the face of it, kind of impressive. It makes you think, oh, he must have been some sort of engineer, perhaps. So he, he had several titles while he worked for Rocketdyne. That was one technical writer. He was also but called... He could, been, he, could
1: been, he could have been the guy doing the advertising blurb as well, do
0: you know? Yeah. He, the highest level he had was called Head of Technical Publications, which also sounds pretty impressive. But I've read interviews with him, and, and I've read his book as well, unfortunately. And basically, he was a sort of a librarian. He was... Yeah. He, he had an English degree... He admits himself in all this material, he was not any kind of engineer, um, and he he was a guy who like kept um, records of which manuals and books were being published, and he behaved more like a librarian than anything else. So again, some sometimes these things, the reason I mention that and I want to get into the details here is because sometimes the details seem convincing on the face of it until you look into them. So, you know, you will hear and you will meet people who say, oh, but the guy who who came up with this, you know, well, he was an engineer who worked for NASA. And it's like, well, you know, I can see why that legend, that part of the legend gets around. Because you do have to look into it a bit to find out that that's not really the case. So he worked with Rocketdyne until 1963. So he, he quit before they had any agreement with Apollo, or before they started working on Apollo. And according to his own book, he didn't even have an interest in. He didn't like the idea of the moon hoax. hadn't occurred to him, at the time, which is interesting because later on he would claim that he got all his information from you know top secret documents he saw during his time at NASA, and he used to say that um, you know he, his suspicions were aroused during his time with Rocketdyne because you know he saw all the problems they'd had with the earlier uh, generations like Gemini, like you were talking about, and he himself later on claimed that he didn't believe. That they had the tech to, to to do what they did by 1969. Again, we're getting back into this idea that, you know, the technology wasn't there and that we should be suspicious that they suddenly had all this success. and um, so what he did was that in nineteen seventy-six he self-published a book called We Never Went to the Moon, America's Thirty Billion Dollar Swindle. And the story he gave behind the impetus for the book was that Again, he he himself. This is astonishing. He says he had no he had no, none of this belief that it was a fake. He had no interest in it even. And again, he would he would have been quite removed from, you know, anything high up in NASA, given that he was effectively a librarian working for a third party. But after the fact, a friend of his who was a Vietnam vet came back from the war angry and disaffected and said, you know, the government are lying to us. You know, this was the era when people first started to lose faith in their government. You know, Watergate was happening and Vietnam was happening. And I think the moon hoax falls into that category. You know, you said that it's not a particularly sinister conspiracy theory in the scheme of things, certainly not compared to the rotten ones we have now. But at that time, I think it was a pretty big deal. I think it was a pretty big metaphor for people believing that the government was lying to them and and choosing the biggest canvas they could to say well if they're going to lie about this then who knows what else they're up to so bill casing was told by this guy this angry vietnam vet said to him oh you know you're you're a writer you should do something about this you should call them out on something why don't you say that the moon was hoaxed the moon landing was hoaxed and he himself claims that that's where he got the idea and then he secondarily you know went back through his his past and his knowledge of 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 the apollo program and started looking for things that he could utilize um, as part of his conspiracy.
1: And I suppose that's you know if you think about the scientific method, that's that's kind of backwards uh, methodology. <laughs> you know, he, he, he started he started with his conclusion and then he, he gathered his evidence. Yes. Um, a, a common common thread with, with all these conspiracy theorists really, you know, um, they they search for evidence to fit their uh, beliefs. Rather than shape their beliefs according to the
0: evidence. The only other person yeah. I, I ever met who believed it, um, we were kind of talking rather, I thought, constructively about conspiracy theories, and she just somebody mentioned the moon hoax, and she just kind of clammed up and said, "Oh, well, I, I, can, I kind of believe that one." And we asked her a bit, you know, without being nasty. I, I would never make fun of anyone just for believing something unusual. I'd rather talk about it and find out, you know, where they're coming from. But she, she didn't want to. She couldn't say any more about it. Except that, you know, she just had always felt like that was a thing. And and, and there's a lot of instinct, isn't there? There's a lot of gut instinct in what we believe. And it's, it's not usually uh, coming from a place of logic.
1: I suppose, yeah, I can see like, to some people it just seems so fantastical and uh, beyond the realm of what should be humanly possible uh, to fly three men to the moon and put two of them on the surface and have them bounce around waving an American flag. Uh, and... <laughs> Beam the pictures back
0: on live t v well you've uh, heard seem... you've heard some of the some of the things people have said, like well, you know i I can't even get t v from the next country or from the next state We're like how how come I'm getting it from from the moon and there there's there's a kind of a folksiness to to conspiracy theories, isn't there? It's like you know it's always like look at these things for yourself, look at the pictures for yourself and and what they point out is always like really simple and basic and something anyone could do. And it's like they, they have some kind of upper hand because what they're showing you is like something anyone can see and don't, you know, don't take the word of the experts. They're reducing something that is complex to something which is simple and really dumb usually.
1: Yeah, I suppose it's, it's an appeal to, to emotion uh, and an appeal to kind of, uh, quote unquote, common sense. Yes, think. Yes, uh, as opposed to as opposed to critical thinking, and I think I think
0: that leads us into the anti-intellectualism that we're we're dealing with now. You know, this distrust of experts.
1: Mm. Okay. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, but I, I suppose it, it it's hard to uh, sometimes it can be hard to to open a discussion with these people because uh, you know if you. If you try and explain it, it's very easy to come across as condescending. And if you don't uh, appeal to the same part of their psyche that got them into their current position, uh, you won't be able to get them out of it, do you know? Yeah, I think, um, I think a big part of it is
0: a feeling that you know something other people don't or most people don't. It's this feeling of being kind of special because you're in this club, you're in this exclusive group.
1: I think for some, yeah, for some, uh, especially if there's like an online community and they kind of, um, they might even have a social circle that's built up around whatever particular conspiracy theory. Uh, so to to stop believing in the conspiracy theories potentially might lose you friends and mm. your kind of social outlet. Well, uh, so they can be quite quite invested in it.
0: A little bit more about this fellow uh, Bill Casing for the, the rest of his career after his his book in the nineteen seventies. He, he seems like actually he was quite an interesting guy. After this, he was involved in many things I personally am interested in. He was an advocate of um, kind of small living, and you know he was an anti-consumerist activist. He went and lived in a in a trailer in the American Southwest deserts, and um, he did a lot of work for homeless people and you know really interesting noble things. But again, all of that fed into his kind of you know his, his distrust of of globalization and capitalism. Really fed into this conspiratorial belief and and, you know most of those other things I can kind of get behind but you know for anyone who's who's a true who has a true interest in science um, and especially anyone who grew up kind of reading about the exploits of the astronauts it's it's very offensive isn't it I mean I really get angry sometimes I I, you know that I've always heard that Buzz Aldrin was famous for punching a conspiracy theorist in the face um, it's a great, I, it's a great, great video. I I had great. no idea until this week that it was a video. It, it never occurred to me that someone had videoed that, and it's on YouTube. His name is Bart Sibrell It's um, he's so out of line. He's so annoying. He's being yeah. such an ass, and and Buzz Aldrin like right up until that moment is being so patient with him. <laughs> <laughs>
1: shouldn't really condone violence, but uh, it's an extremely (laughs) satisfying. Yeah,
0: it's so satisfying. Um, The comments on that were some of the best puns I've ever heard. There was a lot of predictable ones about like, oh, I bet he's seeing stars or or whatever, (laughs) but um, the best one was somebody saying, well, that's one landing he can't deny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I have a statistic here, which is very vague, but over the years, right since the late 70s when this kind of came about, between 6 and 20% of Americans believed this conspiracy theory. Um so that's that's high. I pay attention to statistics of what numbers of people believe irrational things and 20% is is high um across the board, you know, whether you're talking about aliens or ghosts or anything else. That that's very high. Um and the twen- the tw- high the high watermark there of 20% is from 2001 and 2002 because this theory lay dormant kind of for a few decades you know i mean only people on you know what was the precursor to the internet in the in the early 90s usenet like people on usenet boards you know alt dot conspiracy whatever those people would have been talking about this but i think it wasn't a big deal in the general public until you might remember this but who else only fox fox tv uh, had a special in two thousand and one called Conspiracy Theory. Did we land on, on the moon? And this kind of kicked it off again. Now I didn't see the show when it came out, but I, I I vividly remember magazines about it. Do you remember the in the nineties? Every
1: I, I, I think I think I might have seen that program. I think I might have seen that program. I do remember seeing um, uh, an American produced kind of special show. Around that time.
0: It's the kind of thing um, that would have been on TV3 in <laughs> in
1: yeah, Ireland yeah, at that time.
0: Yeah. They at, imported a lot
1: of... Right, like when yeah. they some empty slot to fill. They imported uh, a lot
0: like, of trashy American stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I remember watching that, alright, yeah. So that um, seems to have
0: given the the conspiracy theory a bit of a kick in the pants and got it going again.
1: Yeah, and I suppose you are saying there about kind of polls, uh, you know, gauging how many people... Believe the moon landing was faked. I'd wonder how many of them are just people who would say casually or flippantly answered when asked by a pollster, you know, without giving them much thought. Maybe was the moon landing faked? Oh yeah, probably yeah. You know that, yeah, yeah. So, but then maybe if you kind of press them on it, maybe they wouldn't be, you know, hardcore knee deep after wading into the the conspiracy theory. No, Uh, I I doubt. Within that, there is the hardcore. You know, who will have an answer for every bit of evidence you uh, try to hit them with and so on. I think, um,
0: though, for me, it is the, 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 the fair-weather believers that are... That, that phenomena is more interesting to me, how this idea is out there and people who have not, you know, taken the time to look into it are still aware of it and are, are partly convinced that this is something that they kind of maybe should look into someday or should take seriously. You know, mm-hmm. like, I feel like we have failed as science educators in some way, that these ideas are still—it's a bit like, in you know, ancient aliens is really big again. You know, I mean, because of that TV show, and and mm-hmm. that's that that idea was, has been junked. You know, I thought that that was gone yeah. since the seventies, yeah. and now it's back. And it feels like anything could come back now. You know, like this death of expertise yeah. thing has really opened the floodgates.
1: Yeah. But I suppose for some, uh, you know, on some topics, it doesn't really have a practical impact day to day directly. Um, But in other areas, it can have a huge impact. Uh, So I suppose (coughs) the anti-vaccination movement uh, would have a lot in common with these kind of conspiracy theories. You know, Big Pharma is out to poison all our kids and give them autism for some reason, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Um, um, Chemtrails is a big one that's still very popular as well. And and for me as a biologist, like global warming denial is just out of control. Like no, like I can't believe we're still having this debate. That is embarrassing and and, and scary.
1: Mm. It's uh it's interesting, and I suppose the internet probably, um, de- well, not probably, almost definitely, plays a huge role in allowing these people to connect with each other and uh, kind of congregate in certain echo chambers and so on.
0: Okay, we are back, and we are still talking about the Apollo moon landing conspiracy hoax. I have moved on to my second beer. This is now from Vocation Brewery, and it is called Life and Death IPA. They're from Yorkshire, and this is 6.5%, but it's only a baby can. So, you know, I feel that that works out about average. I'm still on the stone rail. Nothing, Nothing wrong with that, you know... You're faithful to the cider. Yeah. So um, I have a feeling I'm going to annoy you in this section because I'm going to go through some of the claims of the conspiracy theorists and I'll be interested to know um, if if you have, you know, technical expertise uh, enough to take these apart and dismantle them. I have a feeling you you will. <clears throat> so we've already talked a bit about the, the idea that... Um, you know, NASA didn't have the technical expertise to to pull off what they did in 1969 with the Apollo 11 landing, and you've spoken a bit about how, well, actually you have to overlook a lot of the earlier programs to be able to believe that you have to overlook. What was the... Uh, Mercury and Gemini, was that correct?
1: Yeah, Gemini was the immediate precursor to the Apollo program.
0: Okay. um, Some things that conspiracy theorists often say would be like but their track record prior to Apollo was was very poor, and as we mentioned, they they had a a big disaster with Apollo One, where there was a launch pad fire and three people died. And conspiracy theorists like to say, well, given all of these problems while they were still on Earth, how come they had six missions in space where where nobody died? And as we said, like they 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 didn't go flawlessly. There were problems. Apollo thirteen was obviously a famous one, but is it, you know, statistically, is it unusual or astonishing that nobody died in space while plenty of people died on Earth?
1: Uh, I would say no, because uh, by the time they've gotten to space, you know, everything has been tested extensively. Uh, If anything, people are more likely to die during that testing phase, uh, which, as it turned out, was the case, and So, and you have to, you have to think as well that the, the number of, of missions, uh, was small. Um, you know, even if you look at something like the, uh, the space shuttle program, um, they had two fatal accidents, um, during the the whole run of it. Um, which if you kind of translated that statistically, uh, you know, it, it makes the space shuttle the most dangerous mode of transport uh, ever devised. Uh, if if, uh, if cars uh, kind of uh, had a fatal accident rate, similar to what the space shuttle did, um, the average person uh, would be dead within about a month's worth of average driving.
0: But that is something um, that conspiracy theorists say. They actually point out that discrepancy and say, well, you know, isn't it astonishing that NASA supposedly... You know what? How was it? Was it twelve people on the Apollo program who went, you know, to the moon and back in one, one way or another, and they all survived? But like fourteen people died on the space shuttle, which, you know, supposedly happened afterwards. And they point this out as though it should be, it should make Apollo seem suspicious. But I mean, how many space shuttle launches were there by comparison with, with six oh, that's, Apollo? That's a good question. You know, you must be that's, talking about far more because yeah. the space shuttle went up yeah. and down, up and down. It was it yeah, yeah, was a shuttle. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, it's 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 over a hundred anyway. I would imagine. Um, as as you can imagine, the, the exact number.
0: Ch- the Challenger disaster is also a part of various conspiracies, which is, you know, the the idea again that certain astronauts um, <clears throat> didn't want to go along with the, you know, with the with the lie, with the charade, and had to be murdered as a result. So again, you're getting into very dark territory. I know we said at the beginning, like this is maybe one of the less creepy conspiracy theories, but, you know, you get into dark territory, you get into some pretty disrespectful stuff, don't you?
1: Yeah, in answer to that, I would say there's surely easier ways to kill people, you know? <laughs> <laughs> if, 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 if I was a government that wanted someone disappeared, disappear to, you know, ship them off to Guantanamo Bay or whatever.
0: Yeah, I mean, that already happens. so, you know. Yeah. It's one of those things so, where, like, the reality is more mundane, but also perhaps more horrifying than... The conspiracy Yeah you're completely right Okay I <laughs> uh, Let's get into some of the technical stuff So you surely have come across this One of the things that people always say Well how come there's no stars in any of the pictures And you can see this yourself Again conspiracy theorists love to provide us with something Simple and basic and kind of dumb That we can see for ourselves They show us the pictures They say why are there no stars Uh
1: Well I mean that's that's a ridiculously easy one Uh, to to debunk. um, It's, of course, to do with the dynamic range of the camera uh, and, indeed, of the human eye. Uh, Simple fact is, stars are very, very dim. If you go out with a camera on a clear, moonless night and try to take pictures of the stars, you will need a very sensitive camera, uh, a wide aperture lens and a long exposure, Um, all of which... Uh, is at the complete opposite end of the photography spectrum uh, from photographing uh, subjects directly lit by direct sunlight in a vacuum, um, which is obviously blindingly bright. So their cameras were stopped down and their shutter speed was set to capture the detail in the lunar landscape. Uh, Stars are far too dim uh, to be picked up on those pictures and that's all there is to it, really. Actually, I read Michael Collins' autobiography. Um, that was Michael Collins, the uh, command module pilot from Apollo 11. Not the West and Cork
0: revolutionary. <laughs> no, no, not,
1: no, no, not the, not the clinical born revolutionary. Um, and Michael Collins uh, said in his book that his first time going into space, uh, he recalls being struck uh, at how he could not see any stairs, uh, which is completely... Um, the opposite of what he was expecting going into space but he was in direct sunlight his control panel in front of him was lit by direct sunlight his pupils were uh, constricted down and it was only when he passed into the shadow of the earth that he could see the stars but in, in direct sunlight even his his eyes couldn't uh, couldn't pick out the stars so a camera basically has the exact same problem when you adjust the exposure and the aperture and the, uh <clears throat> Shutters, beat, and so on to capture brightly lit subjects you just cannot capture the stairs because they are very very dim
0: well obviously um i mean it seems like such a dumb thing you know if if you were creating this conspiracy if you were nasa trying to fake this you would think well that would be an obviously dumb thing to leave if this was true you know what what a what an amateur mistake to make and that's a hallmark of all of these claims which some of them just sound so dumb, you know, oh, dope, we forgot to put in the stars in the background, yeah. you know, on our set, uh, which is Nevada somewhere, presumably. Um, and the conspiracy theorists have an answer for this, too. I feel like this is going to drive you mad, but they they claim that um, NASA didn't want to have to work out how the stars would look from the moon because they were they were aware that, you know, star buffs from Earth would spot any discrepancies, and it's like come on they're NASA like they know they know what the stars look like from different angles and from different places and
1: well not even that but the the stars from the moon
0: are not going to look look... (laughs) they
1: they will look exactly Exactly the same same
0: you're not that far away
1: (laughs) yeah exactly you um, (laughs) you know in the grand scheme of things the moon is incredibly close compared to the stars uh, obviously you know, if you're looking at a distant mountain your view of it doesn't change if you take two steps to your left or to your right Yeah. Um, so the, the, the view of the stars doesn't change at all um, and when you think of the, the scale of it um, so the if, if the earth was the size of a basketball and the moon was the size of a tennis ball they would be 14 feet apart uh, on the same scale the sun would be a few hundred metres away <laughs> uh the distant stars would still be like dozens of miles away. Um incredibly distant. You know, the, the when you're talking light years and parsecs and all that, it's very hard to grasp the, the the scale of the distance involved, but uh really, really far away, I suppose, is what you could say.
0: I wonder and, I wonder if I'm giving this uh, conspiracy theory short shrift, but I'm probably not. I, I actually I, I think it is as dumb as it sounds like. I think they, they literally don't appreciate the distances involved.
1: Yeah. Uh, and it's it's one of those things that maybe at first glance or first hearing, you kind of might make some people go, oh, oh yeah, oh, geez, yeah, that's a good point, you know. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't stand up to any, you know, any sort of scrutiny. Okay,
0: next point, the, the blast crater, you'll have heard about this. They say, how come when the lander lands, there is no crater, there's no disruption of the soil um, underneath as it lands?
1: Uh, Well, there is disruption. There's an awful lot of disruption. If you look at the the famous footage looking down from the window of the LEM just as it touches down, you can see there is a lot of dust being kicked up and blown away by the rocket motor as it comes down. Um, But, like, a helicopter can land on Earth without excavating a crater underneath itself as it touches (laughs) down, you know? Even though it's displacing enough air directly down to support its weight... Uh, anything loose will get blown away, but it's not going to, you know, completely uh, demolish the ground underneath us. And as it was for the LEM, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the, the soil that it touched down on was probably a few inches lower than it would have been if the rocket motor hadn't been firing directly above it a few seconds prior. But you know, you're not going to instantly excavate a massive crater with a small rocket motor. I,
0: I think uh, the rocket motor
1: was was small, you know, because the LEM was very light. As you commented earlier, do you know it looks like it was made from tinfoil because it was made from tinfoil, um, amongst other things, and also the gravity on the moon being so much less, you don't actually need that much thrust uh, to control your descent. Do you know, so so the rocket motor on the descent stage of the, the the lunar excursion module was not a big powerful mega rocket like the the rocketdyne F1. Not even on the same scale. It was a firecracker in comparison, you know.
0: I think Um, what Bill Casing has done in his, I don't have the figures in front of me, but in his book he basically takes that motor at its, you know, when it's going at full pelt, and takes the numbers and says, well, you know, if it's so powerful and it's doing these kind of numbers, then how come it didn't, you know, it should have blown a huge crater under it when it landed, ignoring the fact that obviously they're going to tone that down. They don't need that going at full blast when they're landing in fact that would be hugely counterintuitive
1: yeah hugely yeah. And the, the 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 descent descent stage motor uh was throttleable and uh, not all <laughs> rocket motors are throttleable uh so we'd say the space shuttle um, the the solid rocket uh, boosters the SRBs uh they're like a firework you light like the fuse and they're on and there's no mm-hmm. turning them up or down um but yeah some 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 rocket motors liquid fuel motors can be throttled and obviously the lem motor uh was designed as such because if it was only on or off that's not much use when you're trying to delicately land this thing on a you know uneven lunar landscape you need to have very fine control of how much thrust you're putting
0: out it would be like driving a car that didn't have an accelerator so you
1: trying to park a car car that had an, an on-off switch instead of an <laughs> accelerator pedal. Uh, as you can imagine, like parking into a Tesco, would be fairly fairly tricky. You would just end up going into the window, probably. Do you know.
0: All right. I'm. Um, we next move on to something that is a feature of many conspiracy theories, including the flat Earth stuff, which I know we've been looking into recently. We, if you were interested, we could certainly do an episode about that. But um, okay. The Van Allen belts. So, what are the oh, Van the Allen belts? Yes. The What tell a, what, so, what are those?
1: So the Van Allen belts are uh, basically uh, charged uh, ionizing radiation that is kind of steered around the Earth by the Earth's magnetosphere. Um, And it's true that the the dose of radiation you get in a Van Allen belt is orders of magnitude more than you get on the surface of the Earth. But of course, the Apollo spaceship was travelling very quickly, so it traversed the Van Allen belts quickly. So the total radiation dose that the astronauts received um, wasn't life-threatening. Uh, again, in Michael Collins' book, he mentioned being able to see cosmic rays. Um, that there were times when you know high-energy particles hit his eyeball literally, and he he could see it as a bright flash of light. Uh, so they don't, they certainly did receive some radiation. Uh, they knew they would, it's what they signed up for, uh, but they had, you know, uh, probes had already been out, they'd measured the radiation, uh, it was quantified, they believed it to be within uh, safe limits.
0: Um, this is a big deal so, in conspiracy I, I, circles, they they did. like to present the Van Eldenbelts uh, as like this impenetrable t- 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 barrier, but they're they're clearly not.
1: Uh, no, like, if you went and lived in the Van Allen Belt for a few weeks, you'd be in trouble. Um, but to, to quickly fly through it, no problem.
0: There's been a rumor more recently that, um, and this is really, really common, every moon hoax site that I looked at says this. They said, oh, NASA have uh, have announced on several occasions that, you know, the, the radiation is the reason why they've never gone back to the moon. And I looked this up and I tra- I've traced it to one video, basically, right, where it's from... Do you know a program or a probe called the Orion from a couple of years ago? It's a it's a NASA probe and it's it's basically being put out there to try and measure the Van Allen belts. Obviously they change a lot and they change depending on how the sun behaves and you know as as you said they can be dangerous for probes or for uh, people to spend a lot of time in. And there's an astronaut or an engineer from NASA called Kelly Smith and he talks about this Orion probe and he says something a little that seems on the surface a little mysterious he talks about the dangers of the radiation and how it could fry the electronics within this probe which of course is smaller and more delicate than the Apollo rocket and then he says something like um, you know of course in future we'll have to you know figure out how to safely transport people through this and all the conspiracy theorists have jumped on this as being oh NASA have admitted that we've never done this before but it's, it's poor. I mean, he the, the words are poorly chosen and they do seem a little bit suspicious. But like they're pretending like, you know, NASA made official announcements that the the Van Allen belt is impenetrable. And it's simply not the case. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. And the, the
1: radiation that, that, that poses problems to electronics um, in some cases does not pose any issue to human health. Um, so these, these famous solar storms, the, the particularly big one in the 19th century that wiped out telegraph wires across the, the Western world, uh, the way they damage electronics is by creating a voltage gradient, an electrical potential gradient uh, through space. Um, and if you have a wire or a circuit it can end up that one end of the wire of the circuit is at a higher voltage than the other, and you can get large currents flowing and you can burn out electronics and so on. It has zero impact on the human body. Um, so, so some of these issues um, with regards to, to probes and electronics, they don't really directly translate to effects on human health. Now, it is true that NASA have spent a lot of time and effort uh, looking into how to shield astronauts from radiation, uh, but that's with an eye to much longer missions because radiation dose is cumulative um, if you're only going to space for a few days to the moon and back that's okay if you're going for a few weeks or a few months even to get to Mars and back then it's a bigger problem
0: so if you were I mean it what did it, it took three days to get to the moon three is that days. correct if you and Mars, correct, yeah. Mars would take like something like a year and a half wouldn't it depending on
1: yeah. depending on the orbits and when you launch and what mission profile, etc. Yeah, you're talking several months at
0: least. So you'd be far out from the from the Van Allen belt, but you'd still be subject to, to other forms of of radiation during that time?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, you're outside the Earth's magnetosphere, so you basically have no uh, shield, no shelter from, from high-energy uh, cosmic rays. Um, and again, the effect is cumulative. Do you know, five minutes exposure won't matter. A few days won't matter, a few months. And, you know, these these high energy particles or rays um, can ping enough little bits out of your DNA and cause enough damage to maybe cause some cells somewhere to mutate and become cancerous. And uh, again, dose dependent. Um, and for a few days, you'll get away with it. For a few weeks or months, you won't.
0: It's it, The conspiracy theory kind of tries to paint space and the moon as these like inherently hostile environments where, you know, people can never and shall never go and there's i mean there's some truth to thinking about it that way we we can only be there with so much effort and and there is there is so much danger i guess in a way but i mean they like to go further then and say that it was impossible and and we did not have the tech and i don't know it's fun. it's funny how conspiracy theories behave almost like metaphors for real situations they're like simplified dumbed <coughs> dumbed down versions of reality
1: Yeah, I suppose, you know, there's there's a distinction between difficult and impossible. You know, going to the moon was extremely difficult, but clearly it was not impossible.
0: Okay, so the the next uh, point I want to mention is, uh, that conspiracy theorists often bring up, is, well, how come we never went back? How come all of this came to an end after 1972, I think was the last mission? And they're, I mean, they're not impressed by stories about budgeting and economics. They they want a bigger story than that. They want a more satisfying tale, and a satisfying end to the tale.
1: Uh, well, unfortunately, that is the tale. It's just money, you know. Um, it, it really is just a matter of scale.
0: One of the strangest things they often say is, how come, I, I can't mention particular names, but how come so-and-so and so-and-so... To get to the moon. Or there's how come individual astronauts who had been successful on these missions how come they quit nasa within a few years well you know nasa were underfunded and their their programs were cut so what do you expect have you um have you come across the, the 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 part of the theory where they say there were two photographs supposedly taken from different areas that have identical backgrounds where there's this sort of hill in the background that looks the same but the foreground is different and they're trying to say, oh, it's, it's, it's clearly a set that's been redressed.
1: Well, we're back to the point about things far away not really changing their appearance as much as things in the foreground when you move your position. Um, and, yeah, I've actually heard that that part before, and a large part of it is that the lunar landscape is so featureless and barren, it's difficult to judge distance.
0: Yeah. I, I will say, I've looked at those, those were... That's the only one I think I was actually a little bit impressed with, you know. I did look at those two pictures, and if they are real, the the hill in the background is, is very similar. I, can, I mean, I can only chalk it down to that pattern-seeking that I mentioned earlier, you know. Our brains are trained yeah. to look for...
1: Well, it's a, if you look at a picture taken on Earth, and if there's a hill in the background, you'll be able to judge how far away it is by the size of features on the hill. So if there's any roads, cars, trees, telephone poles, etc., they'll give you a sense of scale, and from that you'll get a sense of the distance. Uh, on the moon, there's none of those things. Um, so that hill that looks like it's, you know, 100, 150 feet away from them is actually a mile or more away, do you know?
0: Yeah, there is also one of those videos where one of the astronauts um, travels towards what, what I believe they called House, house Rock, which is a, a rock this you know that was two stories tall and you know you can see him going from the foreground into the background and this rock which looks quite small he, he later on he's standing next to it and he, he he's it is the size of a house compared to him and it you know I'm not saying it would have been impossible to fake but it does make you think that's a damn big set if it was a set you know <laughs> yeah. uh, where did where exactly did they film this you know I mean, again, if you if you believe in the conspiracy, then you believe that they had all the money in the world and they had all the resources, so nothing's impossible. But it does it does it's one little thing that just kind of strains the credulity of that uh, that scenario. I think.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if you have all the money and all the resources in the world, why not just fly to the moon <laughs> and shoot your video there?
0: Speaking of which, uh, one of the other questions they ask is, who filmed the famous shot of Armstrong? Uh, stepping off of the lander onto the moon.
1: Uh, Yeah, there was a camera attached to the leg of the LEM. um, And you can see in that shot, actually, that the the camera is very close to Armstrong. You're basically looking at his kind of legs and torso as he comes down the ladder. Um, So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, they'd spent so much money, time and effort getting to the moon. of course, they had thought of ways to capture this, you know, historic moment for maximum PR value, it's it.
0: It is, it is one sure, of the, one of the dumber sure parts so. of the conspiracy oh, yes. theory. of course they thought Yeah, I, I thought of how, how they would do that. I, I do feel a bit silly bringing it up, but I, I, I'm i trying to be complete here. Camera
1: on the land. Sure.
0: Okay, um uh, Hello. We, Yeah, so there. So one of the other things they say is that we can't do it now We did it in the 60s but we can't do it now Techno- Technology has been lost Is a claim that I often hear Or the blueprints have been lost Or um, NASA have lost uh, the details Of how to do this, is there any truth to that?
1: Uh, there's some Truth I guess, some truth You know The um, Some of the plans Probably have been lost over time and so on And some of the expertise, you know, people have Passed away and so on, um, but uh, NASA are currently looking into making a, a heavy lift rocket uh, for future missions, future manned missions, and the the team uh, working on that actually uh, worked from uh, the the F one the, the rocket down F one plans, and recently did a test firing of uh, a, a section of that motor. So literally. Uh, it worked then, it will work now. Uh, and they're literally reusing that technology again because, you know, they did such a, a good job first time around that it, it's still relevant today.
0: So we we ha- is, is it true to say we haven't come up with anything like a whole lot better since then? Is heavy rocket with solid fuels, is that still the way that space travel will be for the next while?
1: Yeah, unless there's a major breakthrough, the technology fundamentally has not changed, do you know still about putting fuel and an oxidizer together, making it go boom, and pushing your rocket in the other direction. I mean, until, uh, it's just it's just a controlled explosion, basically. Until we start um, making
0: thing, assembling things in orbit, that's how it's got to be, right? It's about getting stuff off off the ground, so it's always going to be like that.
1: Yeah. So, like, the the, the technology hasn't changed significantly. Um, and, you know, they call it the, the tyranny of the rocket equation, uh, that the more stuff you want to get into space, the more fuel it takes. And then you need to burn even more fuel to get that fuel into space. And it just <laughs> goes around and around in a vicious circle. Yeah. Uh, and it, you end up just needing, you know, gargantuan rockets all together, uh, which are obviously extremely expensive. And that's the real reason that there hasn't been anything on the scale of the Saturn V since the
0: Apollo program. It does feel like it puts a ceiling on the whole thing, doesn't it? And and it's not like they went there and found gold or found something that was of of significance to, like, a, a capitalist world, you know?
1: Yeah, and again, you know, with the space race, there, there was a certain kind of national pride element to it. And I suppose maybe the thinking was, well, we've, we've done it now, do you know? Um, Uh, And the next step, you know, the next step that everyone talks about after the moon is Mars. But Mars, getting to Mars is just orders of magnitude more difficult than getting to the moon because it's just so much further away. And that's really all it comes down to, really, you know, that it's not like they took a step and didn't take the next step that was just in front of them. They took a step, but the next step was like five miles away down the road. And they just said, "Mm, maybe not (laughs) at the current time.
0: In in speaking about the Cold War, um, one of the things that's always struck me is that well, I've read that like the Russians tr- kind of tried to minimize the Americans' advantage, and uh, they didn't show the footage of the landing and and that sort of thing, but they never ever said that it was faked, and I, I yeah you, ha- you know if if there was any reason to believe that it was faked, surely the Russians of all people would have been on that like a shot, you know, to me that's one of the big giveaways you know the russians would have been the first people to say this is fake and they didn't
1: because it's not <laughs> basically uh, um, yeah absolutely yeah that that I, I totally uh, would be very uh, much in agreement with that
0: point i mean in order um, in order to get around that then you have to expand your conspiracy belief to include the russians and and, and believe that you know both governments and many other governments also are all together on this which you know sounds ridiculous to me but that is bread and butter for conspiracy theorists they have no problem swallowing all that you know they they believe that before breakfast no problem so <laughs> again you can't argue with it it's there's no uh, you know I did a show a few uh, recently with my brother and um we talked about what's the difference between you know, believing something unusual and, and an actual conspiracy theorist. And what he said was, well, can you be talked out of your belief? Can you can you say what would falsify it? And, and the thing about conspiracy belief is that it's unfalsifiable. There's nothing that will make them change their mind. And they will tell you as much, usually. So, again, like you said, it's the opposite of the scientific process.
1: Uh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um... So yeah, I I mean you can go through each of their points one by one and and try to debunk them but uh for for the hardcore believer uh <clears> nothing <throat> is going to change their mind but I suppose maybe people who who might have been taken in uh by some of the conspiracy theories maybe they can be um turned back before they go too far down that particular rabbit hole.
0: I have a few um cultural and and uh social things that i think have probably fed into this legend over the years. Uh one of them is the the idea that maybe you've come across this that Stanley Kubrick uh filmed or directed the the fake moon landing in some way.
1: I suppose he's a big name in uh in cinema. Um well and he made a film called Space Odyssey. So
0: yeah, yeah. So it, he it fits. Well i th- i think that was so when *Space Odyssey* was sixty-nine, wasn't it? So it would have been just a few years before. Um, and obviously, the special effects were very impressive for the time. But I mean, folks who know their stuff have looked at both and said that the the vision of the moon in in that movie, even though it's very it's it's astonishing, it's it's fanta- it's a fantastic feat of art. Um, it it doesn't look a whole lot like the Apollo footage, does it?
1: and um, I suppose the thing about a lot of the Apollo footage is it's it's actually quite low quality um, which I- in a strange way I think probably feeds into some of the conspiracy theory because uh, the TV footage in particular looks it just reminds me of the, the original um, Star Trek Do you know it's got <laughs> yeah. this kind of low quality kind yeah. of v- VHS kind of vibe to it um, oh, but v- then you know paradoxically had it been shot in uh 4k ultra hd uh, they'd probably claim that it w- looked too good yeah um but yeah certainly some of the footage just has a bit of a uh, a grainy quality quality to it with lots of artifacts and so on um but that's to be expected because they were beaming it from the moon uh mm. with you know fairly basic equipment because they were limited in terms of the the size and weight of what they could carry
0: with them, one of the artef- supposed artifacts is a a rock with the letter C carved on it, which is supposedly visible in some of the shots. I'm sure you've heard about that. Uh, it's reckoned by folks in the know to be just you know a hair caught in the camera or some some sort of artifact of the of the photography process rather than. Um, uh, something that was actually there physically but of course conspiracy theorists claim that it was a prop with the with the a letter you know, a prop number, prop C which again it just seems like a really amateurish thing for NASA to have done to put all this money into this fake and then do something as dumb as that by letting, letting the letter C, C get there.
1: If that were the case, then if it was shot by Kubrick then surely in <laughs> 2001 Space Odyssey there should be some scenes where uh, bits of the set have letters or numbers left accidentally exposed, but that's not the case because why would you number or, or letter a rock? Um, <laughs> it just that just, just makes no sense. Kubrick was a better uh,
0: filmmaker than that, anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I know so. you're a fan of of Space Odyssey. We, uh, it's one of those mystifying films, isn't it? Where like, it's the marriage of of Arthur C. Clarke, who was kind of a hard science fiction guy, and Kubrick, who is bringing all of the kind of you know 1960s psychedelic mind expansion stuff and yeah really really interesting stuff on both on both accounts but um there's a film i think feeds into this more so which is it's called Capricorn One it's from 1978 and it's a deeply it's a film deeply influenced by watergate it's a very late 70s film and um, it's got oj simpson in it and it's got uh, Elliot Gould who was uh, Ross's dad from Friends so any anyone of our age will probably remember him as, as that and it's a film where uh, a, a manned mission to Mars right in the late 70s called Capricorn 1 using patently Apollo-era tech <laughs> um, is about to take off when the astronauts are, are in the top module and a fellow in a suit comes in just as they're taking off and says, okay guys, you have to come with me And they climb, they have to follow him, they climb out and get taken into this office. And he sits them down and he explains, look, we're running out of money. People don't care about space travel anymore. We're being underfunded. And he basically talks them into doing a a hoax, a hoax mission to Mars. So this 1978, you know, so just about a couple of years after Bill Casings book. And I, the fact that they use NASA looking technology, like Apollo looking technology, they they have a set for the moon which is fake, and it's in the desert in the southwest somewhere, and it looks just like the the conspiracy theorist's idea of the moon landing hoax should do, and I have to I have to I can only presume that this feeds into the 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 idea massively because it 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 comes out just at the right time. The director Peter Hyams says that he had heard of Bill Casing's book; he might have read it. He didn't believe it himself, but he saw this as a metaphor for talking about how Americans had lost faith in their government um, after Vietnam and after Watergate. So that's that's Capricorn one. I do recommend it. It's on, it's actually on YouTube, and it's it's a very good thriller actually. And uh, besides spawning just the, I think, or at least popularizing the the Apollo moon landing hoax, it also features uh, spooky government black helicopters, which is was to become a, a staple of conspiracy lore in the 1990s. You haven't seen that one, no?
1: No, I'll, I'll check it out.
0: Um, another, another thing to check out, which is also on YouTube, is called Alternative 3. And this is a uh, absolutely fascinating. It's a... B, uh, not BBC. It's a Yorkshire television spoof documentary from 1977. It was supposed to be broadcast on April Fool's Day, 1st of April. But it got delayed for some reason. It wasn't broadcast for several months. So... People took it way more seriously than they should have, and it's basically about uh, a secret space mission where Britain and America and the Russians are all conspiring to uh, get the elite off the planet, you know, before some sort of ecological disaster, and put them safely on the moon and then off to Mars. And if you're in in, in deep in the conspiracy world, you'll know that you'll know that these ideas haven't gone away they've been taken seriously they're still taken seriously by people and it's just astonishing to trace them some of them to their origin in this obviously spoof um t- television special so i recommend that one it's called alternative three
1: okay, uh, we'll give
0: it a look yeah 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 a few other bits and pieces there if you're inter- if you're interested in kubrick there's a a documentary called Room 237, which is about The Shining. And it's basically all these people with crazy conspiracy theories about The Shining, some of which I think they believe and some of which I think are probably made up for the film. But the the one of interest to us is comes from a guy called Jay Weidner, who's a writer. And he believes that, well, maybe he believes, it's really hard to tell if he's being, he could be just being incredibly postmodern here, but he posits that Kubrick faked the moon landing and then tried to apologise and make up for it and, and tell the audience you know the people of America through The Shining and at first you're like whatever that's ridiculous but he he this this documentary Room 237 shows some really interesting stuff like how the the boy Danny is wearing an Apollo 11 t-shirt and how he's sitting on this carpet which has a pattern that looks like the the Apollo landing strip, and, I mean, it's all absolute nonsense, but, again, it just shows you how good humans are at pattern-seeking and how convincing these patterns can seem to be um, if they're taken out of context. So I I recommend that. And in 1971, the James Bond film Diamonds Are Forever, and I remember this, those, especially the Bond and the Roger Moore era ones, they were shown endlessly on Irish TV when we were kids. Do you remember a scene from Diamonds Are Forever where he's on the run from some bad guys, and he he's in the South <clears throat> Western American desert and he goes comes into a a TV studio where they're filming a fake moon set with astronauts on oh, a yeah, lander. Yeah,
1: I remember,
0: I remember that. Yeah, and he's he like, there's a, there's a car chase, isn't there, where he steals like a moon buggy, and gets chased yeah. by you know Russian agents, and there's no explanation for it. They never explain who these people are, what they're doing. And and that just makes me think. By 1971, this was clearly in the public consciousness. This idea.
1: Yeah, I I, I always interpreted that like at the time as being just kind of a joke, and you know the way is, the more era Bond had a lot of uh, tongue and cheek, kind of self aware of its own. Uh,
0: yeah, uh, I don't this, know,
1: glitchiness or whatever you want to
0: call it but this was Sean Connery this was this was before uh, Roger Moore but it did work like do you think they were trying to say these guys are actually faking landings or were they supposed to be just practicing you know what, what uh, do you think I, you-
1: I, I, I thought they were supposed to be faking it when I when I saw that scene and um, so but it was you... kind of a, just a, a kind of a, a bit of humor that he just kind of Stumbled across this deep conspiracy just as a kind of a by the way, yeah. incidental thing, as he's kind of stumbling his way away from these bad guys,
0: and he just like breezes through it, like in the middle of a fight yeah, scene. Does, yeah. He doesn't have time to, he doesn't have time it's to get busy, into it now. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about the idea that the, the the Apollo lander just looked a bit rickety to people? Like, what, why, you know, the tinfoil foil, the 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 tape? What what's the deal with that?
1: Well, as I mentioned earlier, it basically comes down to the, the tyranny of the rocket equation. Um, that, you know, for every kilo you want to get to the surface of the moon, you have to burn 10 plus kilos, 100 plus kilos of, of fuel to get it there. Um, so everything had to be as light as possible. Uh, so the, the LEM was as light as it possibly could be. Um, and it, it, it never had to travel through the atmosphere uh, outside the protection of the, the aerodynamic shell of the, the Saturn V as it was launched. Uh, so it didn't need to look aerodynamic. So it it was okay for it to have all these odd facets and angles. Um, and because it never had to travel through an atmosphere, it didn't have to be that strong structurally. Uh, also, because it operated in a low-gravity environment, that meant, again, it kind of reduced the, the strength requirements for the structure of it. Um, that the skin uh, only had to be strong enough to hold the pressure of the, the cabin environment, uh, which was about 14 psi, which isn't huge. Um, so that was it, really. It, they built it as light as they possibly could. And it looked as if it was built to be as light as it possibly could. So it looked rickety because it was rickety, basically.
0: And what was the tin for, though? I mean, surely it was...
1: So the tinfoil basically was um, to reflect the, the the energy of the sun when it was in direct sunlight, uh, so that the astronauts inside wouldn't be baked uh, like jacket potatoes, basically. Um, because <laughs> with with no atmosphere, direct sunlight is extremely warm. Uh, it's why their spacesuits were white uh, to cut down on the amount of energy absorbed from the sun, uh, and just make. Uh, the, the the thermal regulation of the the spacecraft a bit easier. So, wh- so that was the reason for the for the gold foil and the silver foil.
0: What was the te- surface temperature when they were there?
1: So yeah, the temperature on the moon uh, varies hugely between uh, sunlight and shade. Uh, so shade, uh, you know, it's you know uh, several, you know, hundred degrees negative, you know. D- Almost down to the the temperature of space, which is basically close to absolute zero, um, and then in direct sunlight, uh, it could be several hundred degrees in the other direction.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, again, that's something conspiracy theorists say. They say, oh, the the you know they look at the the highest temperature during the during the, during the middle of the day for the moon, and they say it would have been impossible for them to be out in that temperature So is it so that the timings of the missions were such that they avoided the the worst extremes or was that not a problem because of the suits and the and the craft Uh,
1: it's not a problem because they're in a vacuum so even though the surface is hot uh, that that heat won't convict through the atmosphere because there is no atmosphere uh so the only part of their suit that has to withstand the heat of the surface of the moon is the soles of their boots basically um so yeah, was you know, it, it it's not an insurmountable obstacle
0: fantastic James. thanks for your knowledge your your uh your level of detail is fantastic um just thinking ahead if there were other subjects you might be interested in doing shows about sometime, I don't know if you know much about um uh, the, the lost cosmonaut idea or the um, we could always talk about the flat earth sometime I think that's another interesting one I've also been doing some research about you know, cancelled space program ideas there was ideas for uh, space shuttle type things from the 1960s that were cancelled they're all interesting, yeah yeah, the Dinosaur, the X-20 the MOL mobile uh, manned orbital laboratory from 65 and It was apparently a project I found out about this week where um, the US briefly at least wrote a paper about the idea of sending a a nuke to the moon in 1958 just to show the Soviets who was boss after Sputnik. And uh, apparently a young Carl Sagan was on the panel for that one and uh, it was only rediscovered in the 80s, I think, when somebody was writing a biography about him. So, yeah, lots of interesting ideas there if you were interested in covering those any time.
1: Yeah, absolutely closer.
0: Okay, well thanks for being on the show James, we'll give you a shout next time.
1: Cool, thank you again, my pleasure.
0: Okay, always a good time, uh, take it easy. Okay,
1: take care.
0: been listening to a distinctly lunar episode of Wide Atlantic Weird. If you like the show and want to keep the lights on in the bunker, whether in space or on Earth, give me a review and a rating wherever you listen and share episodes on social media with anyone you think might be interested. You can chat with us on Twitter where we're at Strange Ireland and do send us on any weird personal encounters you might have had or any weird beliefs that you might indeed still hold. If you watched the moon landings yourself back in 1969 and remember seeing a Coke can roll incriminatingly past the cameras, get in touch. We want to know and we're ready to believe you. Thanks for listening.